This is episode number 78 of The Ship's Podcast with David Ryan Polgar. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McCandrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Everybody, welcome to the Ships Podcast. I hope you are all doing well today. Happy February. It's crazy. We're just in the thick of winter right now for those of us who are listening from America, but perhaps you're on the other side of the world and enjoying the end of your summer season right now. So, but for those of us who are in the thick of winter, hang in there. And to hang in there, we have an incredible episode for you today. Our guest for this episode of Ships is a man by the name of David Ryan Polgar, who is a pioneering tech ethicist who paved the way for the hotly debated issues around Facebook, AI ethics, unintended consequences, digital well-being, and what it means to be human in the digital age. He has appeared on CBS This Morning, BBC World News, Fast Company, Sirius XM, Associated Press, The Washington Post, Can He Do That Podcast, and many others. An international speaker with rare insight into building a better future with technology, David has been on stage at Harvard Business School, Princeton University, the School of the New York Times, Tech Chill in Latvia, The Next Web in the Netherlands, Future Now in Slovakia, and the Future Health Summit in Ireland. David is the founder of All Tech is Human, an organization that is shifting the process of how technology is developed and deployed to one that is more inclusive, multidisciplinary, and participatory. The organization unites a broad range of technologists, academics, artists, advocates, policymakers, and students to co-create a more thoughtful future towards technology. He is a frequent consultant, co-host of the podcast Funny as Tech, which is an incredible podcast that I highly recommend checking out, and he is also an advisor for Hack Mental Health, the Technology and Adolescent Mental Wellness Program, and Hashtag I Can Help, which are all committed to using tech for good. So you are in for an incredible episode of Ships. I was very lucky to have David on the show. We talk a lot of things in this episode. We talk about the struggle to express our relationship to tech and how technology is affecting the human psyche. We talk about the application of tech versus the implication of tech. We also discuss mindful consumption of technology. We talk about how today's culture is very focused on quantifying over qualifying with regards to how we interact with one another and our relationships. David also talks to us about his concept of mental obesity and what that means, the gamification of relationships, and also how tech is altering the trajectory of our lives. So I definitely recommend listening through this podcast episode the whole way through. It is full of value that I think you're really going to resonate with. If you like this episode, also please be sure to share it on your social media, share it with a friend, send it on over to a family member, because this is an important one. So, without further ado, let me please introduce David Ryan Polgar. Hello. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today's guest is David Ryan Polgar. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, Pat, thank you for having me on. I am really excited to dive into this conversation. You are really me this. Too, me too. You're you're really this spearhead in mindful tech use and digital wellness, and really you you've proven yourself as a leader in this field at a very timely time where there's there's a lot of awareness being spread about this the research of course has been going on for a while Mm -hmm. but i feel like now we're in the midst of the conversation about how technology is impacting our lives impacting our brains our relationships and so i'm really excited to have you on this show today and dive into a conversation well as you pointed out pat right uh, things have changed over the years and we've gone from mindful tech or just maybe even the impact of tech going from a fringe type of issue where people said, well, are you sure this is really happening? To now almost being accepted. Uh, I mean, you know, something we forget about is a lot of the, the work has been done over the years. So for example, with uh, Nicholas Carr's uh, Atlantic article, a seminal piece back in 2010, is Google making us stupid? So that was years before yeah. everybody kind of said, wait, that's a rhetorical question. Of course, uh, you know, <laughs> Google is affecting my, my brain. Uh, but but you have you have a lot of people who are the early kind of warning sign. And the way I like to think about it is that uh, a lot of issues with tech and how it's maybe impacting us from a from a emotional uh, level uh, and really altering maybe our relationships, how we connect or or not connect, or our inability to disconnect when needed. A lot of that's not apparent until it's a problem. Right, so it, it's not until your significant other is uh, not paying attention to you, or or you find yourself uh, unable to have clear thoughts, or the ability to concentrate, or or you think that you're not uh, able to maybe uh, be be present or connect with your friends as much as you want. Uh, it's not until it reaches a certain point where you say, "Oh man, maybe maybe I have." Uh, an issue, or maybe this is a larger issue. So my, my point is, uh, oftentimes, and the issue of, of mindful tech is not apparent until it becomes problematic, right? And oftentimes, that's on a personal uh, side. So that's why you might have been exposed to, to research and articles and things of that nature uh, years ago. But it wasn't until maybe you said, oh my god, how come everybody at this concert is filming it as opposed to uh, paying yes, attention right yes. and then you know uh after it reaches that certain kind of critical mass then you say well wait a minute how can we how can we utilize technology in a way that it maximizes the human existence that it that it brings us closer together not farther apart because it of course has that has the potential any any tool uh, can be used in in multiple ways so you know uh that's that's kind of what we're thinking about. How can we use what we're carrying around in our back pocket to bring us closer together? Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think what's an interesting thing to go off what you said is that it really it's a personal journey. I think for everybody, everyone has their own personal journey and relationship with technology. And it's not until it shows up as a barrier in some form in our lives, whether it's with our friends or mm-hmm. a relationship or maybe at work perhaps where we're not getting either we're, we're not feeling fulfilled in our relationships or fulfilled in certain work and then we discover oh technology is playing some part in this yes and that that's been the interesting thing for me and my journey too is to recognize that everyone's own personal journey is different and everyone's coming yes. to this discovery in their own ways, which is fascinating. Well, I think that's why, uh, on your end, that's why I was attracted to your work, is that, you know, I think the stage is is an ideal format to express the human condition. And when you have an issue like the impact of technology, it's not a clear-cut issue. Whereas theater is an is a ideal format to discuss the nuance to discuss a multitude of, of feelings we might have, right? So when I think about my smartphone, uh, it's not either good or bad. I don't think of it in a binary type of fashion. You know, I feel 
amazed and awed by it and attracted and repulsed and afraid, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and nervous and excited. That's theater. Yes. It is. That's, yep. that's the, that's life and life is, <laughs> is nuanced and life is, is, you know, uh, three dimensional. And, and oftentimes, uh, when we just express something maybe through through an article it's it's tough to really uh to really uh hit home right it's tough to to hit at a visceral level oftentimes you you can hit with an article at a um you know intellectual level so wow that's 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 smart i never thought about that well look at that statistic wow isn't that amazing whereas with theater you can you can hit somebody on a, a a deeper level where maybe they can't even explain why they're impacted, or maybe they they see something that is mirroring their own feelings or fears, and uh, that's that's where I'm, you know, personally kind of um, you know attracted to that as a as a as a format to express what we're struggling to express right now, and we're we we know that we're we're struggling. Uh, with technology, but at the same time, we are also struggling to express <laughs> our struggle, yes. right? We're, yes. we're, we're failing to interpret the mix of emotions. And, and I know this even from a firsthand uh, experience, uh, you know, on my end, kind of being involved in the digital wellness space relatively early on, about 2012. Yeah, how did you get into yeah. the space? You know, I, I got into this space uh, <laughs> because... Uh, I, I had this one incident where uh, I got called into jury duty, and as any listener knows, you know that's that's something that hey, it's our civic duty. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, oftentimes that entails a lot of sitting and waiting, waiting around whether you're going to be used uh, and called or not. So anyhow, uh, this is about uh, 2010 uh, or 2011. And uh, I, you know, had jury duty, and I forgot my phone. Right? I didn't didn't bring my phone with me, and here I was walking into a building, and, and it's going to be sitting there for for hours. But here's the funny thing: as I'm sitting there, and the time is going by, and I, uh, I, I feel my my phone, right? It, it's, huh. it's vibrating, and I and I, so I, I take my left hand to reach into my left pocket, and Instead of pulling out a phone, I pull out nothing because there was nothing in my pocket. I thought, my God, well, you know, this is a <laughs> this is an odd feeling. <laughs> yeah. Why do I why do I feel like there's something ringing in my pocket, but there's nothing in my pocket? Uh, you know, playing life very defensively here, Pat. Right? If there's one thing I don't want uh, to to happen to me in life, it's I don't want to hear imaginary voices. And, and I felt <laughs> like this ringing uh, in my ear of a phone that didn't exist was problematic, right? It was yeah. <laughs> something wow. yeah. that I was uh, uncomfortable with. But here's the thing, as uh, any uh, you know, individual would, as soon as I got back from jury duty after, you know, I was confused and, uh, you know, kind of scratching my head at, at what, what happened, uh, I, I, I Googled kind of my symptoms, right? And, uh, you know, sure enough, some Pew research that had just come out pops up and, and to say that, believe it or not, about two-thirds of Americans uh, at the time uh, had experienced what they call phantom rings. It's very similar to the phenomena that happens when a soldier loses their leg in war and they still feel like they have a leg, right? Something that is that we're so used to, uh, we just can kind of mimic, uh, our brain can mimic that, that type of behavior. And I was really blown away by that, that study. And to me, that meant that, wow, this isn't about technology, right? What we're creating, we're actually disrupting our just traditional way of of life. We're we're disrupting how we live and love and learn and even die. Right? We're altering the human condition. We're 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 affecting the the human psyche. That's a big freaking deal. This isn't something that we should leave solely up to technologists. This is something where we need to 
bring in the uh, the saints and the poets and the philosophers and the, the professors and the school teachers, right? We need everyone on board because we are altering our way of life, and that's a big freaking deal because we want to make sure that we're altering it in the direction that we want humanity to go in, right? That's a big, big deal. And uh, it was at that point uh, where, where I thought, wow, you know, and here I was with a background as an attorney and an educator, uh, and I was teaching, and I thought, you know, this is a big deal. I want to... I wanna, explore this more like if i could carve out my life any way i wanted to uh, i would love to do this full time i would love to not just think about the application of technology as so many people were at the time but to think about the implication of technology which honestly at that time there weren't a lot of people outside of academic institutions right there's always been uh, you know great leaders like uh, sherry turkle at mit uh who have been paving the way. Uh, and then, you know, my journey from there just, just led me to a lot of different, a lot of different opportunities. Uh, you know, I was living in, in Connecticut and was doing some research on this and uh, that led to a couple of speaking opportunities. And then I, and then I found that near, uh, near me was uh, Dr. David Greenfield, who founded the Center for Internet and Technology Addiction. He's in Connecticut? He is in Connecticut, yeah. yeah. So he just happened. Uh, that's where life is always a little bit of uh, good luck. Uh, he just happened to uh, live in my very town. Of, of <laughs> and West you're in Hartford, the same town. Even in the same town. Wow, that's amazing. Of West Hartford, Connecticut. Wow. Right, of West uh. Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I reach out to to anybody that I want to kind of uh, learn from. And we had lunch and, and really hit it off. And, uh, you know, he, uh, I was his uh, grasshopper, so to speak, where you know, <laughs> I, said I, could, I could learn uh, from him. But at the same time, uh, we, we could complement each other from coming about it from different perspectives. Uh, he was a, or is a, uh, a, a very kind of renowned cyber psych- psychologist who had been pushing these issues since the late 90s. Uh, he's the individual who popularized the dopamine connection that now seemingly everybody knows. Uh, you know, it was on a lot of the major TV shows in the in the late 90s talking about these issues, but at the time, that was seen again as a fringe character. Hey, what, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, how is this potentially an addiction? And um, anyhow, he, he founded the Center for Internet and Technology Addiction and uh, you know, I just started, uh, you know, working with them a little bit on the side. Uh, we uh, together kind of came up with, uh, you know, some some um, some work to do, and went out and did some some speaking. That led uh, on my end to uh, an opportunity where I got to write a short uh, ebook. This is when you know, 2012, when ebooks were really hot, <laughs> yes. and uh, I wrote. Wisdom in the Age of Twitter, which is also, uh, you know, probably makes a little more sense uh, in 2020 than it does in uh, 2012. But uh, you know, that also led a few few people to reach out. Now I have a question uh, yeah, sure. with starting things out so soon, yeah. getting into this space in 2010, 2011. When you were doing this work at that time, was there any part of you that thought? Okay, this is only going to continue to be even more important as time goes on. Oh my God, definitely. That's that's what I uh, took away from it is to basically say, I'm looking at this, and this is an obvious car crash. And huh. if you can't see the car crash, then man, you're just not looking hard enough. <laughs> I mean, you know, and maybe that's a little bit of uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, there's a there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance, so you never want to be arrogant. But I will say, uh, you have to have some level of a, of a backbone to say, you know what? If people don't get it now, it doesn't mean they won't get it at some point, right? And and, and I think that was a big big lesson because, you know, frankly, on a, on a personal level, it, t- it took a long time to get things off the ground. You know, I had great opportunities like 2013. Led to a, a TEDx uh, on on digital wellness. Uh, I was talking about uh, this concept of uh, mental obesity and a mental food plate. Oh, I, w- yeah. I would love you to dive into sure. that a little okay. bit too, because 
because yeah, that, yeah, people are, I, are finding out about it now, and I'm like, wait a minute, I did this in 2013, you know? Well, I I had watched the the talk, yeah. and it, it's it's such a, a captivating concept. And I, I don't think, you know, a lot of people have heard of it, right. but it, it, yeah. it, pun intended, it holds so much weight. <laughs> yeah, it does. We <laughs> so can, I'm, I'm yes. wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, mental obesity is, is the concept of, of really feeling cognitively full, right? So, I mean, I guess a, a close cousin to information overload. It's not solely about... Uh, you know, our smartphone uh, or, or just digital consumption. It's about our lifestyle with it, right? Uh, it's about the holistic approach to saying, how can one, how can we assess where we are? Uh, and then also, what are our, you know, mindful consumption patterns? Uh, and that's, that's kind of what I was talking about. And then uh, really like, what are we doing? You know, from this uh, after after we have this uh, after we have this kind of consumption, right? Is there a difference between what we're what we're uh, consuming, and then is there any type of like mental exercise that we're doing? So really, uh, I was using as an analogy the rise of the uh, diet and exercise industry, because if you step back and took the took the larger view, food and uh, information, uh, they seem to, to really have a lot of similarities in the sense that similar to the fact that most of us struggle, right, with, uh, with, with trying to decide how much food do I have? How much do I need to exercise? You have the same thing going on with, with information. It makes a lot of sense because from an evolutionary standpoint, food went from being finite Right to having you know, very limited as in like a hunter gatherer, to to in uh, a lot of circumstances for for people uh, became seemingly infinite, and that's when we really start start struggling with it. Right, that's when we start saying, "All right, well, how do I create a scale? Right, how do I know how I'm feeling?" Similar with our information consumption, how am I thinking? Am I even checking in? on my own self, right? Uh, and then and then from that, all right, how should I how should I eat? And then likewise, how should I consume? And then after the assessment and, and kind of the mindful consumption with it, um, you know, what can we do to be in better better shape with it? And that's that's really the approach I've always had with this this issue. And that does differ in in, in the sense that uh, it's, in my opinion, it's, uh, it's a, it is a nuanced issue in the, sen- in, in the sense that uh, our consumption patterns are constantly changing, just like it, like it would be with, with food. So I think one of the mistakes that we oftentimes make is we think that we can quantify everything. We can say, okay, hmm. here's how much screen time I should have. No, there's no such thing. Right or here's how you know here's how much time I, I should spend on my phone, as opposed to, yes, it's true, right? You can you can have estimates about calories, right? We say okay, well, this is how many calories that it, that an adult should consume. We create these things, but we also are complex enough to say different foods affect you differently. Different foods affect different people differently. Right, and this is very similar to the, the discussion that that's even having about social media. Right, you can't just say, "Well, here's how much time somebody spends on Facebook," because guess what? Your personality mixes differently with different social networks. Right, so that means that Facebook might affect you differently than it affects me. That's that's part of the conversation we haven't had yet, because that's where that's where it loses its simplicity of of saying, "All right, well." Just spend thirty minutes here, twenty minutes here. Turn it off at ten o'clock, and then everything's good. Well, it doesn't. It, unfortunately, it doesn't work as cleanly as that. Uh, I wish it did. Those are almost yeah. like quick, quick fixes right, or, or, or band aids. Well, is is there a quick fix? Uh, since we know that you know this food analogy kind of holds up, is there a quick fix with food consumption? Of course not. Because right. guess what? You know, 
we come back and, and I come back on ships uh, in 2030, 10 years from now, uh, I bet you there's still going to be five new diets. So that means that we, we haven't solved the problem. We're just constantly adjusting to the issues. Right, right. right. So likewise, digital wellness is about wellness. It's not about a fix. And I, and I think that's why, you know, when, when we get into issues like uh, digital detox and unplugging, we never want to lose sight for the fact that uh, we, we are trying to achieve a semblance of balance, but not for balance sake, right? We're trying to achieve it because we want better thinking. We want more friends. We want more excitement. We want, uh, you know, uh, information. Uh, we want clean thoughts, right? Uh, so I think we have to be more qualitative about it. And for whatever reason, the 21st century has been defined by our obsession with uh, quantifying everything. Right, and, and there is even the quantified self movement, right? And we make metrics for everything and we, we wear Fitbits to, to, to say how many steps did I walk as opposed to how healthy am I, right? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't actually matter. I mean, maybe it helps motivate certain people, but it doesn't actually matter how many steps you walk. It matters how that's affecting your body, right? And that's a that's a... That's a, uh, a more complex decision because it's saying, yes, there's a connection between walking and health, but now I need to look at my health and say, how is this walking affecting me? Whereas if we just cut it out and solely focus on the metrics, then <laughs> we're losing sight of the goal. Right. And also, you know, a lot of the metrics might not, uh, might not hold water. We, we should care about the, the, the kind of impact uh, of it, and I, and I think that's the the next step uh, of this issue. And you know, a lot of a lot of great thinkers um, that that uh, you know I personally kind of admire that have been pushing this as well. Like one of them in particular, uh, uh, Jocelyn Brewer out of uh, out of Sydney, Australia. Uh, she's the one who pioneered the digital nutrition uh, concept, and that's you know just the the uh, the idea that. Uh, we have to think more complex about this and, and, and don't just say how much time am I uh, online, but what are you consuming and how does it affect you? Uh, and, and she also has her, uh, you know, her virtual vitamins type of, type of content as well. <laughs> I love so, that. Yeah, I mean, and that's what's fun about this, this space is that it's, it's fluid in the sense that there's so many different angles to approach the issue that I, I think we should really be open to a multidisciplinary type of approach. And what I mean by that is we need people coming about it from the arts lens and the psychological lens and the uh, maybe the sociological lens and add it all together. Because that's how, that's how we would fight any societal issue. And, and I think oftentimes we have a tendency to assume that we just need one type of expert, and, and I couldn't disagree with that more. Well, and that leads us nicely into the founding of All Tech is Human. Oh, awesome. Really what I love about this organization that you've created is that you're bringing people together from a wide variety of different fields. Yes. To, so to really go off of what you were just talking about, why do you think it is important to bring people in from a bunch of different perspectives to give their input as to how tech is affecting us to give their input on digital wellness and yeah. mindful tech use. Well, if there's one thing that I've seen uh, with All Tech is Human, and that's the uh, nonprofit that I run that's, that's based uh, in New York. Uh, it's been holding ethical tech summits throughout the country and looking at other ways to uh, increase their participation in the tech conversation uh, and to also accelerate tech change, right? so. What I've noticed with that is one of the frustrations that people are feeling is that what they're carrying around in their pocket is altering how they find jobs, uh, you know, how, 
how they how they find mates, right? It's it's altering their trajectory in life. And the frustration, one of the frustration points comes from the fact that we feel like we have no ability to have input on the device that is altering our trajectory in life. And that does not make us feel uh, like, like we have a clear sense of control. So I think a lot of the issues around digital wellness really have to do with control in the sense that if there is something that's in my pocket that is dramatically affecting how I make friends, how I talk to people, uh, where I go out to eat, that's a big deal. And I want some ability to make sure that that device is, is operating and developed and deployed in a way that is beneficial for me on an individual level and uh, also on the macro societal level. So with Alltech as Human, what we're trying to do uh, is allow for people to be plugged in and participate in that, in that conversation. Uh, I, I jokingly like to say that it's uh, no amplification without representation. Uh, and, like that. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing, right? Uh, you have to, you have to get involved with this because we can't have the the same people who, in the you know, uh, early version, uh, created something that we see the potential, but we are uh, nervous about the the downsides or the negative externalities. We can't have the very same people. Create, try to create the solutions. Uh, I, I think that's a, a fool's errand. Why, why would you, <laughs> why would you say, "Hey, you broke the toy. What's your, what's your solution to fixing it?" You know what I would say is, let's get more people thinking about this toy and how to fix it. Right. And maybe right. let's bring in some new voices. But it doesn't happen enough, and well, it doesn't happen enough for for a variety of reasons. And and that's been a lot of my own uh, personal passion and and work. And I see it from a lot of different angles. So the way I like to to draw it out is that all tech is human, and and this relates to where I think uh, I would like to see us focus a little more on, is that all these issues are actually dealing with uh, a few different angles. They're not just the tech side. Uh, I call it the the TEP uh, process, and that's dealing with technology, education, participation, and policy. And then you bake that into hopefully a better process. And the reason is we like to think that we, we just have a tech problem. Therefore, we, we need a tech solution. But, but the answer is no, we need better education, better technology, better policy, and better participation, right? That's, that's complex. And, and I do worry that, that oftentimes we're just saying, all right, well, What's the what's the magic pill? What's the quick tech fix? Yeah. So on one hand, yes, you, know, you can create an app and that's telling you how many minutes a day you use your phone or turn off at certain points or lock it off. And and you know, obviously, even the, the major tech companies have have evolved a lot of these uh, aspects as well. But I think that's frankly only one part of the puzzle. So we need ways for for just uh, the the general public to participate in in some type of fashion because basically what is is happening is there's a massive disconnect between the types of people who create something and the types of people who are feeling the impact of that right in, in other words uh, oftentimes there is a uh, disparity between somebody who is thinking how do i create something and the actual people who are the ones utilizing it and impacted by it. Uh, this is really the divide I like to, to just think of as the application, which is where the technologists are thinking, versus the implication. Uh, and that's a clean way, a clean way to think about it, right? Don't just think about the application of technology, but think about the implication of technology. So uh, 
yes, you always, you know, as, a, as an American, we're very optimistic, generally speaking. And you, you want to have uh, people who are, I think, are, are creating something, right, and trying to move it in a forward motion. But you also want somebody to say, well, yes, but how can this also go sideways? Uh, and I think that's where uh, my background as an attorney and educator came in handy because uh, if you talk to attorneys, they tend to think worst case scenario. You say, here's an idea. And they'll say, well, yes, but here's a thousand and one ways somebody could get injured or you know, yeah. do bodily harm. And here's how you could get sued for it. Here's what you might want to think about. And here's this and that. Right, so the the actual training uh, to be an attorney is based on critical thinking uh, and a lot of ethics baked in, and also um, worst case scenario. And I think that was at the time something that was really lacking in the overall tech ecosystem is that. We were uh, we were kind of uh, charmed by the best case scenario. Yes. It's not saying you don't want the best ca- case scenario. It's saying that you want to temper best case scenario with worst case scenario with likely scenario with how can we take all this together and make a better case scenario. Yeah. So with that said, in in your opinion, as a tech ethicist working in digital citizenship, what would you say are in your opinion, the greatest dangers when it comes to technology, and then on the flip side of that, what what are the the positives oh, of this yeah. technology yeah. nowadays, and then how do they commingle? Sure, an area I I like to focus on because it's a little more under the radar than something that uh, might be coming up a lot lately, like algorithmic bias or facial recognition. Or even just you know singularity is near. Like there's always that concern, or automation is is, is going to take our jobs, and do we need universal basic income? Right. So you have a lot of those issues that that naturally pop up. But something that I think goes to your question about it being both positive and negative is the uh, automation tools that have really accelerated in in our social space spaces. Uh, so let me give you give you an example is that uh, you know we like to say with uh, the Dunbar number and that's based on British anthropologist Robin Dunbar uh, who was, was looking at uh, animals uh, and, and and realized that with you know human relationships uh, came up with this uh, estimate of saying that we could handle about 150 relationships based on the fact that, uh, relationships take time and reciprocity, and we know this, right? What's what's a good friend when we talk about communication? Somebody, it's somebody who reciprocates. It's somebody who you think about a certain amount of time, and they think about you that certain amount of time. <laughs> you give them a certain gift, and they give you that gift back, right? All relationships are based on reciprocity. Right. We know this, but yet we forget this. So anyhow, that has put pressure on automation tools to say, "Oh, well, wait a minute." The boon for the web, the, the the pro for the web, was that it allows people to be quickly put in touch. Like you and I were able to quickly connect because I saw a lot of your work online and uh, we, we connected. It wasn't that hard, right? Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's a huge boon, right? Because it now is. we're having this, this wonderful conversation. It's a great positive, it's, yeah. Of course, this 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 conversation that might actually listen lead to, to listeners then reaching out lead to other opportunities uh, in, in the sense that building additional relationships that wouldn't have happened but for the hyper connectedness of our online communities uh, that's that's amazing right that's that's remarkable uh, or you know I, I mentioned uh, Jocelyn Brewer's work you know I remember one time where I saw that uh, friend in New York, she was flying to Australia. I said, well, Jocelyn's based in Australia. Uh, and, and this was happening like the next day. And I said, well, why don't I just connect the two of them uh, online uh, through Twitter? And then uh, a matter of, of like, I think it was like 48 hours later, they posted a photo. Hey, here we just had, you know, oh, that's tea amazing. in Australia and, wow. and stuff like that. 
I was like, that's that's awesome, right? The fact that uh, our online communities can can build real, lasting, vibrant, rewarding relationships. That's a huge, huge positive. The amount of, of, of relationships that I've built off online communities and, and our ability to connect, it's remarkable. I mean, my whole career it probably owes itself to the ability to form these these deep, rewarding kind of relationships or just even reach out to a lot of people. That's helpful. Uh, but what I've seen from that is that also leads to the natural struggle of saying, well, wait a minute, I'm connected with so many people I want to talk to, almost too many people. So at the end of the day, <laughs> we've gone from, from saying that I, I, I need more people to talk to to now being bombarded with saying, I can't even keep up with the amount of people I want to talk to. I mean, yes, we can debate about the close friendships, and you know they've done studies on that, but I will say we're, we're overwhelmed with the amount of kind of loose relationships that we, that we have and want to maintain. So anyhow, with that, that has, uh, that has necessitated the way to say, well, how can we, how can we scale intimacy, right? If we know we want to communicate with more people, well, guess what? You can't make time. But what you can do is do things more efficiently, which means that you can do more in that amount of time, right? So in, in other words, if I could communicate with, uh, let's say, sending 10 people an, an email in, in an hour, if I could now send 40 people emails in that hour, that means I'm four times more efficient. That means I can have four times more relationships. So there's been a huge rise in automation types of tools, uh, whether it be suggested text or automated text, and even even networks like LinkedIn that we often leave out of this conversation, uh, which I think should be brought in more. Uh, they've been really, really kind of um, bullish on, on this concept where, let's say it's, somebody's new job or anniversary or something like that and it's going to give you these audit, automated suggestions or here's how you can yeah. say like you're, yeah, right. you're excited for this person here's how you can say congratulations and that's an area i'm fascinated with because i think it's something that we are overlooking at our own peril in, in the sense that we don't want to dilute the very value of how we connect and how that builds to a relationship so for example like I was, uh, was mentioning, relationships are based on reciprocity. So if I write you a couple sentences, then I've spent a couple minutes of my time, five minutes of my time. Therefore, by just any you know reciprocal nature, then now I'm almost expecting like that you say, okay, well then I'm gonna spend five minutes of my time. Therefore, we would have an egalitarian type of relationship, right? Whereas you now have this incentive to say, oh, I just got contacted by David, but I don't have time because this is too many other people I need to write uh, messages to. So if I have this automated tool or, or I can you know, maybe just um, copy and paste something or do a form letter, it's very attractive because you now say, well, wait a minute. Uh, what if I can almost masquerade as if I did spend a lot of this time, right? Huh. Uh, and that's what a lot of these tools are doing. And I, and I think the people who are creating them don't always naturally think about it because basically when you are a creator, right, you, you need to put on certain blinders in the sense that you are saying, I have a problem. How do I create a solution? Whereas I think where we need more focus on is we need people who are saying, yes, you saw a problem, you create a solution, but what are the problems created from those solutions, right? Yes. So you're viewing problem solving three-dimensionally, and that's that's a part that I think we, we oftentimes overlook. So the problem created from that solution is that if I can't tell, Pat, if you are sending me a real message or a message that is automated, right? Uh, which is something that technologists obviously always want to do. It's the very idea of the Turing test or imitation game. It's something that we've hunted for, right? 
But if as an individual, if I can't tell the difference, that's problematic in the sense that uh, it, it, on an individual level, it feels disrespectful. That's why Google Duplex, when that was uh, demoed uh, about a year ago, that's why that was a big deal. And people said, well, wait a minute, you have to be transparent, whether you're talking as a human or as a, as a bot. But then the other issue is, I don't know what value you're, you're placing on the relationship. Yes. You see what I'm saying? That's uh, so true. Because we're viewing it as value, because it is value, because your time is valuable, because your thought is valuable, right? So how many times when we're thinking about gift giving do we say, well, it's the thought that counts? It's the thought that counts. But get this. We are literally moving towards thoughtless communication that's automated. Therefore, by, by our very deductive reasoning, it doesn't actually count. The fact that you automated your speech, it means that you didn't think about me. And relationships are not just about communicating uh, you know, uh, words. They're about the, the value and time uh, and emotional kind of energy that you put behind those words. And I think that's what we're totally missing the, the, the boat on. So huge area, and it's what I, I like to call kind of botified speech, right? We're so worried about humanizing our bots, but I, I'm, I'd be more concerned that we are botifying as, as humans in, in the sense that uh, in order to scale intimacy, we are diluting the very quality and granted, we can always be more efficient, right, with, with human communication. But if you try to expand efficiency at such a uh, hyper level, uh, it, it really it really gets in the way. And a quick example that I think illustrates uh, this this point is, um, you know, I had this uh, Twitter account, and and, and I I think I you know have like two or three uh, Twitter accounts that that I that I kind of uh, am associated with. So uh, I got connected with this individual. Uh, they followed me, I followed this this person back and, and they sent me a message, but they sent it really quickly. And so because I'm a relatively skeptical person, I thought, <laughs> well, all right, well, how do I know this isn't just a bot? Obviously yeah. there's a lot of bots on yeah. Twitter. But then what I thought was interesting is uh, at the end of this message, they wrote, have a good day but they spelled day wrong they spelled it d-a-e and then there was an exclamation point so have a great day and then d-a-e and uh then there was a a, a follow-up dm that said oops and an embarrassed emoji i meant day d-a-y and because i'm that skeptical individual who thinks a lot about how we are using our digital tools uh I thought, wow, it'd be very uh, Machiavellian if this person is is looking at this and saying, oh, wait a minute. I know how I can appear to be more human by putting in errors because to oh, err no. is human. Come on, you know, you know yeah, this is an oh, actor. Yeah. To err is human, right? So oh, man. to err is human. Therefore, I'm going to automate my errors in order to project my humanness. So I wanted to test this out. So anyways, I went into a different uh, Twitter account that I have and I followed this individual. They followed me back and sure enough, don't you know that I get a message saying, have a great day, D-A-E, exclamation point, and then followed up with, oops, oh, right? wow. embarrassed emoji, oh, D-A-Y, <laughs> right? Uh, but oh, <laughs> busted man. in a hilarious fashion. But I think it gets to the point that we are, are, are forgetting that communication is, is not just about you. It's about you and me and, and I, what we build together. I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier, too, of this idea of quantity versus quality. Yes. And in these automated conversations, people are starting to emphasize that quantity to detriment detrimental effects oh, right. really yeah yeah well i remember one one person who really kind of blew me away is is uh 
going back to LinkedIn, since there's so many automated features, they always have something where you can kind of say like, congratulations on, you know, the new job or whatever. And there's, there's one person in particular who would always send me these kind of like automated parts, like where you basically just have to click on something, which is kind of tricky because it, it's the equivalent of hitting a like button, yet it is elongated in the sense that it, it's supposed to feel like it's more than a like button. Whereas if somebody just likes something, you're like, oh, well, that's less than a comment. Whereas LinkedIn is actually flipping the equation in huh. the sense that you're doing something that's the equivalent of a, hitting a like button, yet it's supposed to feel like it's a comment, but the comment is freaking automated, therefore it's <laughs> not more than hitting a like button, right? Right, right. So it's kind of twisted, but the point is this person always sent me something like, hey, congrats on the new job, and they, they sent me this three times. But you know, I have this personal policy to kind of say, well, all right, well, you just basically hit a button. Uh, well, thanks, but I don't, you know, I want real relationships. I don't want to be spammed, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> But then after the third one, I said, okay, well, then I, this person really wants to connect. I want to, I always want to connect with, with people. So I, I wrote back to this person and say, hey, you know, you know, I appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, you know, I just checked out your LinkedIn page and I saw that you're doing X, Y, and Z. And sure enough, crickets, I hear nothing back. And it, it blew me away in the sense that it really got to to the point of what we're struggling with. We're struggling with the gamification of relationships. And the gamification of relationships is is taking us off our balance in the sense that we are so focused on the metrics of the game that we lose sight to why we're even playing the game. And at the end of the day, we're playing the game of human communication to build relationships, right? To connect with one another, to understand each other, and to build great things together. And uh, this person, when they had the opportunity to actually connect on a deeper level, didn't take it, which is That's mind boggling a, in the uh, sense that it would appear, wait a minute, they really want to connect. They've yeah. sent me three freaking automated messages. Well, you know, they must want to connect. But but I think it's, again, it, it be, metrics throw people off. They really do. Because we get so honed on saying, how many people am I connected with? How many people am I communicating with? You know, and, and sometimes people even have like, you know, if they're any type of um, position of sales or something like that, that they might say, okay, here's how many people I want to talk to. Wait a minute. And, and LinkedIn does this intentionally. Like, why on LinkedIn is it telling that it's somebody's birthday? Right? LinkedIn's not usually a place where you're, you know, talking about birthdays and stuff. But they do that. And why do they do that? They do that, of course, so you can be like, hey, bad, I see that. It's your birthday. I'm trying to connect with you, human <laughs> to human. That's cool. Right? Oh, man, yeah. Whereas <laughs> I think what we're, we're getting lost from is that we are forgetting that there's a reason why I should wish you a happy birthday. And the reason behind that is because I should care about you and our relationship, right? Uh, so I just started watching uh, you know, this, this show on Netflix called The Politician. And that's what you know, uh, it's getting at. That's what I'm taking from it is that you know, there's a great line, I'm just kind of, kind of paraphrasing here, of, of, a, of a character you know, who is, is said, okay, well, you're not really being genuine you're just acting out these emotions and then they say well is there a difference right they they view acting sad as being sad or emoting that you care huh. as caring but there is a massive gulf between the facade of emoting the facade of of saying that you, you know happy birthday to somebody versus actually caring that it's your birthday. Because at the end of the day, what we're focused on is connecting as people, not trying to just merely showcase that we're connected as individuals, right? And I think that's what we struggle with in the sense that uh, we never wanna forget that at the, at behind every, you know, uh, avatar is a real person that you know when they cut their finger they're not bleeding zeros and ones they're bleeding you know blood that there's a beating heart and I, and I think those are 
subtle distinctions that we can easily lose sight for in the fact that we are overwhelmed, running around, and, and we can quickly put relationships in a bucket as something that needs to be managed and, and, and made more efficient as opposed to something that is adding value and something that needs to be cultivated like a, like a garden or something like that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is so much great information for all of us to retain and really think about in which the way we interact and communicate with one another, not only in person, but I think it's important to keep in mind these interactions online and to keep in mind that another person is on the other side. And they definitely are. So we're about to run out of time, but David, thank you so much for coming on to the ship's podcast. I really appreciate you not only coming on the show, but also really appreciate the work that you're doing. It's incredibly important work, especially in today's day and age where there is such an emphasis on numbers. There yeah. is such an emphasis on quantity yeah. over quality. And, the work that you're doing and spreading the word around about tech ethics mm -hmm. and what you're doing with All Tech is Human is incredibly important work today. So I really appreciate what you're That's doing. That's very kind of you to say, and it's been a pleasure being on your podcast. Uh, before we head out, I'm wondering if you can share with us some information for our listeners yeah. as to where they could find out more about you and your work. Again, uh, you can find me online, and then I am a real person behind this this microphone, so if you reach <laughs> out, uh, and then hopefully if you're in the area, we can uh, we can connect in, in person. But you can find me online if you go to uh, techethicist.com. Uh, and then All Tech is Human is alltechishuman.org. We're, again, holding lots of different events based here in New York, but moving across, across the country uh, and, and moving also into research and informing policymakers and hopefully elevating the media conversation around, uh, around tech as well. And that's what I'd like to say is that so many times people come up and they say, God, you know, but I'm not in, I'm not in tech. And I say, well, everybody's in tech right now <laughs> everybody should be in tech in the sense that we need participation we need multidisciplinary we need to make this conversation broader and and more inclusive and more dynamic therefore if you're listening you should be involved at the end, the end of story yeah Great. Well, I'll make sure to include the links to those various websites in our show notes. So listeners out there, feel free to just scroll down and click those links. Check out all the amazing work that David is doing. One more question for you. Yeah. What is your definition of a deep, meaningful relationship? Yeah, my definition of a, uh, of a deep, meaningful relationship is, is one that... Uh, that you can be uh, vulnerable with, uh, and I think if they there is anything that uh, hits home with our digitalization of, of life, it's that it's caused us to be more connected on paper, but uh, potentially less viscerally connected. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, so a, a deep, meaningful relationship to me is something where you can put your guard down uh, because I think uh, with this digitalization, it's caused us to be so freaking focused on branding. You know, we always oh. talk about how do you brand yourself? Well, guess what? Yes, that, that, that is true on a career level. I mean, I have to focus on branding. for I have to run a career. But at the same time, oh God, I hope I'm larger than a brand. I hope I'm more than, than how I want to be branded. I'm, I hope I'm more valuable than my elevator pitch. And you know what? My, uh, my true self is much longer, uh, more complicated, and not as catchy as an elevator pitch. And that's, that's about being vulnerable, and that's, uh, that's a deep, meaningful relationship. Oh, man, this could be a whole other podcast episode, I'm telling you. <laughs> Let's do uh, it, yeah. man. David, thank you so much again. Thank you, Pat. David 
Brian Polgar, everybody. This was an incredible episode, especially for us to get aware of technology and really the impact that technology is having on our lives, on our daily habits and routines, and how much technology is starting to take a play into our decision-making as well. It really is altering the trajectory of our lives, as David talked about in this episode. And so I hope that you all walk away from this episode really thinking critically about these things and really thinking seriously about the ways in which you are using technology. So David, thank you so much for coming out on the show. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend, share it with a family member, Leave me a comment, subscribe, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. This would give me some great insight into what I can do to make this podcast better for you all. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing episodes with insightful messages and inspiring guests. So if you're interested in supporting feel free to scroll down in the show notes and click the link provided. Also, if you're interested in booking me as a speaker for an upcoming event, whether it be at your school, your organization, or your business, go to patmacantrew.com and hit me up. I would love to hear from you and would love to discuss with you about how I can speak in more detail about these topics. So thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Ships. I really hope you enjoyed what David was talking about. Highly recommend checking out his work and I'll catch you all in the next episode.